listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. I told you what I was going to do at the beginning. All right, we're rolling. We're just so excited for next week for people to dump their baggage in the form of men. So Sam laid the the groundwork (laughs) for a lot of drama coming next week. Is that what I'm hearing? Indeed. (laughs) Talking about breakups, so if you feel like you need to break up with someone, come. Yes, break up. So that, that might get crazy. I am sitting here with <coughs> Sam, Sean, and Caleb, up, and uh, right? this is the Uloft podcast. And so we're going to do things not differently today because uh, we, we love the format, but we have clips from Sam's sermon last night. If you were not at United, you should go back and watch the full version because then you'll get all the context and everything else, but we'll do the best we can here. <clears throat> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to play the clip and then we're going to talk about it and kind of you know see what everybody thinks and uh so yeah let's just go ahead and start off what do we have first we have uh this one is i can't remember so i'll just play it so overall honesty in your dating life is the best policy like we've learned this in like second grade honesty is the best policy and i want to give you just a couple ways that you can be honest in your relationships so the first thing is to be very very truthful right from the get-go. For me on the dating app, my picture is me and Zeke because it's like, hey, I got a child. Like that's a big part, that's the major part of my life that you need to know. So I'm upfront about what my beliefs are, um, that I'm not gonna date anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. That's just where I'm at, obviously. Um, And you have to be truthful about maybe what your future goals are, what you want in life, whether you want kids, all of those things are where you should be right truthful from the beginning. Ah, yes, honesty. Um, so I really, I pulled that clip because, um, man, that's such an important point. Uh, when you go on dates, it's so tempting to just say what, you know, the other person wants to hear, particularly if you know what the other person wants to hear. Right. Uh, but the problem then becomes, how do you sustain that? And, you know, Sam, you talked about that last night. Like you set yourself up to where you have to continue a lie and continue a manipulation. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Like this, the value of just straight up walking in truth, not even just in dating, but in all things that you do. Yeah. I, you know, and I, and this is like, we understand it's the best policy. It's also very difficult to do like on a pragmatic scale. I remember when I first started dating, um, my girlfriend, it's like, I did want to put my best foot forward. I want her to like me. Um, but at some point you have to like, um, I don't know, kind of fuse, like putting your best foot forward, but also like, you know, being your normal self. And I'm quite odd um, and quite weird. And so it kind of came out quickly. I concur. I concur with that <laughs> Thank statement. you. I appreciate that. Uh, so it kind of came out quickly. And, you know, you should be yourself, but you want to impress people. It's like, you know, first impressions really matter. And so you do try to put yourself best foot forward. And is it, tr- you know, there's a difference between like, I think it's truthful as long as you're not um, 
masking other portions of your life in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is, you know, this is a part of me. This is the best version of me. It's still me. Yeah. Um, it's just not, I am not always like that. And so if you are acting always like that, that is when it becomes a facade, right? Yeah. And so you do have to start like, and there's just like good wisdom in this. It's like, do you want to enter into a marriage or any type of relationship where it's like, all you ever get is the person's best foot forward. And you're like, who are you really though? Because no one is 100% perfect about everything all the time there was when i was at uh, duke um and i was working in the dorms there was a, a phrase that they used all the time that was the um the cause of many people's like anxiety and depression and social anxiety and all sorts of just terrible terrible things and it was this flawless per- or effortless perfection effortless perfection you have to be perfect in everything you do and you have to look like you did it effortlessly, right? So it's not only be perfect, but look like you didn't put any effort into being perfect, right? Like how horrible is that? And yet a lot of people play by those standards and expect I I won't find someone unless I can do that all the time. And I think that's kind of the space that we've come um, to here in the dating world this day. It's like, I have to look perfect and I have to keep that going all the time, otherwise I'm gonna be found out and people aren't gonna like me anymore. Yeah, yeah, and I I like what you're saying about, okay, so the best version of yourself is still you. Like we're not saying that you need to, on a first date, just dump all of your garbage on the table. Yeah, yeah, oversharing is not a great strategy either. (laughs) Right, and and also, um, so just to get more specific about it, let's just say, for example, that both men and women appreciate in a partner someone who knows how to listen somebody and also maybe somebody who knows how to be uh, a provider or you know has their stuff together let's say and maybe that's not you right now but that's who you want to be that's who you want to become i don't think there's any shame in practicing that and trying to allow yourself to transform into that even if you know on that first date it's something of an act like you're you're so basically you're doing the best you can to listen to the person at the dinner table you know you're doing the best you can to really value and appreciate what they're saying to you even if in your day-to-day life you don't really value and appreciate what other people are saying to you if you want to become that person genuinely authentically um i think that it's there is some element of fake it till you make it here wouldn't you agree you got Sean. yeah i was gonna say with that i mean the fact is, even in a healthy marriage, that's what it should look like too, where you know, you're know you never, whoever, if you get married, you're never going to be marrying a perfect person and they're not gonna be marrying a perfect person. Everyone is going to be a work in progress. So honestly, in many ways, I feel like with what you're saying, there is a sense of that is just an ongoing process in every step of the relationship because like you are coming in with, okay, this is who I wanna be. I recognize I'm growing, I recognize you're growing and so you're setting yourself up well by not having those delusions of perfection trying to put that mm-hmm. forward but being this being honest about okay hey i'm working on this i'm trying to build towards this and you know i don't know if maybe maybe not the fake it to fake it till you make it i don't know if i would use that but i think that idea of like yes we are both coming into this mm-hmm. as works in progress and even best case scenario, it's going to continue to be this way. So starting with that kind of honesty, putting that, uh, that sets really the tone for how you're going to pursue a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I do think like you can do that in dating. Like you could totally 
practice, but I would actually recommend doing that with friendships first. So mm. if you're trying to learn how to listen to your partner that you're dating, that's great. But if you can't do that with your friends, with your pastor, with your small group, mm. with your coworkers, you're probably not going to be able to do that well and effectively. So practicing with the people around you that you're already in their lives, and maybe you'll have some open, honest conversations with them that you'll be able to have later in the dating because you've already established a baseline of, I know how to be open. I know how to have good conversations. I know how to better myself in the context of my friends. Yeah. And I think there's wisdom in that to the degree that um, with friends, oftentimes, I think there are less incentives to manipulate, which it sounds terrible, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think it's just uh, true. No, it's true. Yeah. Right. Because like you, you get close to someone and say you think that this person's super hot and you want to marry them and like if you're a guy you're probably thinking about the reward at the end of that and so that's an incentive to maybe stretch yourself more than what you actually have gone or you're willing to go yeah in order to uh, convince the person that you are someone who you're not and so if you try this out with friends first then you know you already know that you're not operating in that arena with them so you know you can you can test yourself essentially because the incentives aren't there to be over manipulative over manipulative and so that you can see maybe how far you're willing to go to become the best version of yourself and, t and testing that with your friends i think is super wise and the other the other thing with making sure you have good friends or people that you can trust to do this with beforehand is to save you from um the need to have a relationship in your life where you do this because you don't need that. And there can be a lot of dangers um, when that happens. And we're going to use a, I'm going to be hip right now. I'm hip. Uh, Yo, simping <laughs> is that, right? It's like, you know, you, I you cannot feel, believe you just used that word. <laughs> you feel such a need to be in a relationship because you don't feel like you're you're getting any sense of love or connection with anybody else and it's like if you have good friendships you can save yourself from a lot of the problems and the problem with simping is it usually no, never goes well because people don't like neediness from other people uh, unless you're codependent and then that's another problem um but neediness doesn't come I feel like we're just I'm I'm teaching people how to date here this is great um, neediness doesn't come off well so you know if you find yourself feeling like you need a person that's a problem for many different reasons um, other than it's not going to go well for you in that dating relationship but one of the things you you do need authentic um, trusting relationships where you can be open and honest but your first place that you get that um, if you're not married, should be in a friendship. Mm -hmm. So right now, I've been best friends with uh, this guy named Joe um, since we worked at summer camp together. That's going on 10 years now. And I can literally share anything with him. Um, and for the past 10 years, that has, I mean, that wasn't always the case, but for about nine years, you're into it. I felt like that was the case. Um, and I haven't felt a need to pursue a relationship to get that necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, which has been great because that has saved me to like, when I do pursue a relationship, it's not because I'm in need of something that is filling yes. a void, right? Yeah, yeah. Can and I you don't want to go into a relationship to fill a void. Yeah. So about neediness, and this is kind of something I hinted at last night. Neediness, unfortunately, can be ammo for someone that you're dating. So part of my like experience whenever I got back into dating is... Um, I was lonely. Like, that's just a reality. Like, post-divorce, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of questions. And I had a pastor tell me, Sam, be careful because 
men might see your vulnerability, your openness, and they will take advantage of that, whether you believe it or not. And I saw that happen where they saw that I needed someone, that I wanted companionship, and they took the bait. And so they became this perfect person, this like, I can fulfill all of your needs kind of person because they knew I was hungry for that. And I, I fell into that and that was really difficult. But what I realized is like, that you don't want to be open, fully open with someone you're going on a date with. If you're expressing like, I really want a husband or I really want a, you know, someone to have companionship with. Like they're going to take notes if they're a manipulative person and they will use it to construct their facade to meet all of your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Jesus is the one that fulfills all our needs. And that might yeah. seem like a cop out, but that is true. he is. And And he will bring you someone who will not manipulate that neediness. They'll fulfill your needs in marriage, but not as a like they're gaining it from you and they're taking advantage of you. Yeah, like if you're in an unhealthy place yourself, you're probably going to attract unhealthy people who are then going to abuse that kind of unhealthiness in yourself. So that's that's super important. All right, let's see what we got next. And so one of the, the biggest issues of our life is that we all, we all want to be fully seen fully known and fully loved, but we are secretly absolutely terrified of this level of intimacy with another person. Because to be completely exposed in front of another person is one of the scariest things you could ever have happen to you. There's nothing to hide anymore. When you are naked physically and spiritually in front of someone, there's nowhere to hide. I really, um, when I hear that, that's, like this is really at the bottom what so many people are chasing. Um, just this ability to be with someone and not have any protections up, essentially. Like not have to think about, you know, it, whether or not what they're saying or doing is socially acceptable. So like when you go out with friends or with your church, you know, in these social environments, you have these ethics or like ethics isn't really the right word standards standards yeah like polity kind of things that you uh do and don't do you don't want to overshare is like one of them um and i think that there's a tremendous amount of comfort whenever you meet someone or you're with someone where you don't have to have these barriers up but in order to get there, you have to take the barriers down and you have to show all of your vulnerabilities and all of the parts of you that are not so nice to look at. And so um, and that's, that's dangerous work. So it is very important that you don't do that with too many people. And here's the problem with love games. Um, you do that with too many people, mm-hmm. right? The more people you date and the more walls you tear down with the more people, the more you're known to more people. And that can be dangerous. Um for your own well-being, um, but now other people know a lot of things about you that maybe they yes. shouldn't know about you and aren't in a committed relationship with you, because um, that can spell disaster in a, a myriad of different ways. And that's what m- makes marriage so important. It's like whatever whatever junk you've got, it stays between us, and like that is not going anywhere. Uh, unless it's like a therapist. Um, but then that stays there too. <laughs> That's the nice thing about confidentiality. It's like, but knowing that, yes, we all have our junk and we've all got skeletons in the closet, but I can open up my door and reveal my skeletons and know that that is not going anywhere other than, than that relationship. Mm-hmm. And how many dating relationships are like that? Almost none, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they've gotten to a point where it's like, we're, we're moving towards marriage at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and that's something that if, if you're the kind of person who has diarrhea of the mouth, <laughs> um, like you need to know this for sure. Yeah. You will destroy every relationship that you have if it goes past a certain point. Yes. I mean, there's a reason why in the therapeutic relationship, confidentiality is like one of the most important, one of the most prime uh, values. And I think in intimate relationships, the same way, the worst thing you can do to someone is when they do something pain, like painful, difficult, but also necessary in opening up their vulnerabilities to you, if you turn around and then betray them for that, they yeah. will done. never be vulnerable with you yes. again. And yes. you're done. Yep. Yeah. And that's why, so there's a difference though between being open, because I will say that someone has called me an oversharer, and I am an oversharer, and that's something I'm working on. But there's a difference <laughs> between being open and being vulnerable. Like anybody could be open to anybody. Yeah. You can talk to whoever about your issues, but vulnerability is a different level. There's like, not only is there emotion involved, but there's like a, will you hold this with me? Like, will you handle this thing that I'm laying out to you? Will you bear that with me? And that's why marriage is beautiful because you're signing up to bear the burdens of your spouse. And I know like for me, um, I don't know if he listens to this podcast. I'm not going to use his name. Um, but there was a guy I was dating uh, for a very short time in my singleness recently where um, we did get to a level of sharing more vulnerable stuff of like, you know, saying things like in that movie we talked about uh, at Unite, uh, saying things you haven't told anybody else before. And I realized like at a point like, oh my gosh, like while this is like a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to be like, I'm not married to this person. And so if it's not going to head towards marriage, I can't continue doing this vulnerability because it does. It, it takes a whole other step than just to be like open about your past, but to say, I want you to partner with me in dealing with it. Like that takes a whole other part of your soul. And so I couldn't imagine even now doing that again unless it was with the spouse because it's just it's taken so much. So you, you want to have that line and you don't want to just spout off all your issues to someone, especially if they're not mature enough to handle it too. And, and for a couple of reasons, one of them is uh, if you do it over and over and over again, then they're like, it becomes not a big deal anymore, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. it's like, we should <laughs> we should protect our hearts. And it's right. like, if you've got it open all the time, um, that's not gonna go well for you. But also for other people, like when you overshare, it's inconsiderate towards other people as well, because a lot of people, everybody has, a lot of junk in their lives, whether they're willing to admit it or not. And the problem with oversharing is it's like now you're expecting them to carry a burden that one, they never committed yeah. to and two, probably cannot handle, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. so this is why it's so important to be, I know my friend Joe, I can go to him anytime and I can just dump anything on him um, and he can hold it because we've been holding each other's um, crap for the pat that came off weird. <laughs> we've been holding each other's so. problems it could have been worse yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> holding each other's problems for the past 10 years straight and so we we know what it takes to bear with each other yeah. um i mean sam can i I'll use you as an example it's like you can share and be open at the fact that you're divorced but you're not letting people into your life to care for your children, to care for your life, yeah. unless you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's a lot less. I mean, you shared last night with 100 people that you're divorced, but there are maybe, what, five people in that room that you're willing to like, yeah, like really open, open up with, up with yeah. and, and let help you carry that burden. Like there's a big difference with that. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question then. 
how do you know when you are oversharing? And so I would say that a good way to do this is kind of the love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like if you wouldn't want someone to say it about you, don't say it about them. But the problem with that is if you are a chronic oversharer when it comes to your own stuff, I think that's going to... it's going to obscure your ability to tell whether or not you're oversharing someone else's stuff. Mm. And so where do we get away? We have to depart from subjectivity here at some point because uh, it just is the case that what is oversharing to one person might not be oversharing to someone else. And <laughs> if you are someone who overshares all the time and you don't, you, you won't feel like you're oversharing and then you might hurt somebody without knowing it. So do you guys have any thoughts on like how to know when you're oversharing? Yeah, just thinking, going back to what Caleb mentioned earlier with the problem with oversharing is you're giving somebody a burden they're not meant to carry. Thinking of it through those terms, even just like, okay, why, what's my motivation behind wanting to share this? Is it because I feel like I've got to get this off my chest that basically I need a free therapist here or something (laughs) like that? Or is it I care about this person and in order for the relationship to grow it actually requires being vulnerable sharing my life with them opening up so it's becoming it does go back to the love your neighbor as you love yourself because you're turning the focus away from yourself toward the other thinking i'm doing this out of caring for the relationship not out right. of just my own selfish kind of reasons so um i think there's a difference between chronic oversharing and like so i have i accidentally overshare a lot of times but i wouldn't say it's like chronic necessarily like one time i remember i walked in here and pastor mel just asked me like hey how's life going and like i just dumped like the past month that was really hard on him and i was like i left and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) i am so grateful that he is a patient man but i was like i am such an idiot oh my goodness so pastor mel if you listen to this i apologize for (laughs) moments where i've accidentally just overshared and it's like you know, those happen and you can excuse yourself on a lot of those. Uh, but if you're a chronic overshare, so um, most, I'll say this, most communication, like I think it's 90 from what I remember in my communication classes in college, uh, something like 92% of communication is nonverbal. Um, and I'm going to make a face and none of you are going to be able to see it. <laughs> but sometimes, and if you watch people c- carefully, and the problem with oversharing is you typically aren't watching people, but you should be because when people start oversharing, people start going, yep, <laughs> yeah. like making yeah. weird faces. People, people will cross their arms. People will step back a little. Um, people will look um, like shocked or I don't I don't know how to re- like when people don't know how to respond there's a very particular look that they <laughs> typically get and that's when you know you're oversharing um, sometimes people are better at hiding that Pastor Mel for example w- was willing to engage in that um, and hide the fact that I was definitely oversharing and he's like what the heck is going on uh, I'm sure and, and some people are much better at hiding that uh, I, as a pastor we are often targets of people oversharing their problems. Like people walk into my office that, that I've met maybe once and just bleh, mm-hmm. um, they're junk. You know and who it's else like, are is uh, cashiers, baristas. Yes. Yeah. I will say, and I will, this is me re- re- admitting, shortly after like uh, stuff happened with my relationship and the end of my marriage, I remember <laughs> going, I didn't even know where this was, like Ollie's. And they're like, you know, you find everything you needed today. I'm like, yeah, but man, my life is falling apart. <laughs> like, it was like a week after, like, come on. But it was, they were like, I can't leave this post. I need to just, like, I could see it on their face. They were afraid of me, I think, a little bit. Um, so yeah, you can definitely see it. 
in their body language. Yeah, so check body language for sure. Like that's a number one thing. Also, fun fact, um, if if you are a chronic overshare and you just like need to tell people junk in your life um, and you don't want to have to worry about any ramifications, I think, I don't know if this is still the case, but like telemarketers, when they would call you, um, a lot of companies don't allow them to hang up. You have to be the one to hang up. Uh. <laughs> and so if you just want to like, you know, here, I'm here calling about like your car warranty. And it's like, let me tell you about my junk. It's like, yeah. that's free, like overshare. If you just like need to get it out, that uh, doesn't solve the problem. But I would say uh, like physical awareness of how people are reacting to you. Did they step away? Did they cross their arms? Do they look disengaged? Do they look shocked? It's probably your best like instant oh, I might be oversharing in this moment. Yeah. Um, thing two is if they aren't engaging further in the conversation, mm -hmm. it's probably because they don't know what to say and they don't want to say something that's going to hurt you because uh, they don't know you well enough. And that's usually a telltale sign as well that maybe someone is oversharing. Yeah, and I think it could be more common than we realize um, this tendency to overshare with people like cashiers or waitresses or you know, telemarketers even because one of the reasons might be because we view these people as relatively inconsequential in our lives. Like yeah. they, they are occupying the office of cashier in that moment. So we almost, and look, there's people who are rude to cashiers. And I think that the reason why they are rude to cashiers, besides the fact that they need sanctification in Jesus, um, yeah. is <laughs> another reason could be because in that moment, they don't see a human being, they yeah. see an office. Yeah. And I think that the tendency to kind of dump stuff on people that way too, could be coming from like, okay, well this, this, person in front of me is a representation of all cashiers everywhere and they are just in an office and so it's easier to say these things to them because um, I, they don't have all the nuances and subtleties of a human being and it's weird to think of it that way but I think all that stuff might happen below the processing level yeah. of the and it's like don't do that because they're paid like eight dollars an hour yes. and <laughs> um like they don't need your garbage. They got enough problems of their own typically. Yeah. Can I say another, just a spiritual thing real quick? Because this is what I've done because as I've been realizing that I can overshare in situations, I, I've started to like do that with God where I, I mean, I did that last night where I was like, God, I am overwhelmed with this, this and this. And I just poured it out to him. And I like, that's like the beauty of Jesus. Like the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the counselor. So, if there's anybody you can dump all of your junk on who will not be burdened by it, who will not have like a, a, a wrong disposition towards you, like it's Jesus because he can handle all of it and he actually invites us. I think the reason that we don't do it with him more than people is because we don't see him. We don't have the opportunity to maybe hear like a, a, a word of advice back. So we don't do it. But like he is the one safe place where he's never going to say you're oversharing. He's just going to say you're talking to me, your father. And that's like a very safe place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit, we have one more clip and I want to play it. And then I want to hear everyone's final thoughts on, on this particular piece. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you the actual power and capability to say no to the desires of your flesh and to say yes to the way of holiness. So God has called us to something different than what our flesh wants. He's called us to this holiness. And hear me out, whenever you hear the word holiness, I don't want you to automatically think being perfectly moral and being good. To be holy is to be set apart, to be totally different from the rest of the world and to be like God, is to be set apart. 
Okay, so let's talk about uh, the distinction between morality and sanctification and maybe just say for yourself what it feels like to be going through the process of sanctification. Are you putting a tremendous amount of effort into it? Does it feel like a grind to you? Or is it something where, <laughs> like I know for myself, in the recent, uh, not very long after post-conversion, so many things that I thought that I needed just floated away. Like I just didn't need them anymore. And I didn't do anything to get there. Like it really was just that shift of perspective that allowed me to get there. And so I don't know if sanctification is supposed to feel like a grind or like a constant effort pushing uphill, or is it supposed to feel like the work's being done for you? What do you think? I think it's both um, because there have been things in my life and I've been a Christian for most of my life. And so instead of things that have just been taken away, um, things that I just haven't struggled with, I think for me is a better. Um, So like alcoholism is not like I could, I can be around alcohol. I can, you know, partake in it. I can watch other people get absolutely smashed and that's not a temptation for me whatsoever. And so it's not a grind to be able to be, um, controlled in that aspect. But there are lots of things where it's like, Oh my gosh, I've been working at this for 15 years and nothing has changed. And that's a grind. Right. And, and so there's going to be some things that just, like you said, just kind of get washed away. Um, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but there are things that are heavier that take more time to move, to get rid of, to displace. So I, Sam, you mentioned Celebrate Life last night when we were talking, and I yes. also participate in that as well. And the group that I'm in, um, we were talking about like how to actually remove um, sin in your life, not just to say like, I can resist temptation, but I am appalled by whatever thing it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you do that is by displacement. Um, so whatever bad sin is in your life, you can, you can just, if you had a glass of water, this is what we were talking about. If you had a glass of water, um, and you dumped it out, uh, you can just fill the glass of water back up and you're back to square one, problem one. And a lot of people do that. It's like, I've got this problem. Let me just hope that God is, will miraculously heal me from it. Right. And we dump out the glass of water. But the problem with an empty glass of water is it can be filled quickly again with water. But if you filled that glass full of rocks and sand, um, it gets rid of all the water, but now water can't be put back into it, right? And so we were talking about like our minds are the same way. Um, and, and with sexual addiction, for example, since we're talking about love games and that's typically the problem, it's like, it's not just, oh, can I resist from giving into sexual temptation? But it's like, Am I so in tune with the spirit that instead of saying, I can't look at this, I'm not going to look at this woman because I don't want to give in temptation, but I can look at this woman and know that she is a child of God and look at her that way and not be tempted, but be repulsed by the idea that I might look lustfully on her. Like that's what we're shooting for. And it takes displacement, right? It takes us filling our minds with good things so that bad things can't get in, not just merely dumping the cup of water. And we do that. So Philippians 4 says... Um, you know, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy and excellent. Think about these things, have these things in your mind, because if you do that, terrible things, lustful things, prideful things can't get in because there's only so much space in your cup, right? And if you have good things in your cup, bad things can't fill it. Yeah. Going off of that too, I, 
uh, that whole idea of displacement, I think that really is how it plays out. And I was thinking as well, I mean, when it comes to sanctification, particularly when it comes to things like sexual sin, there's oftentimes a lot of shame that comes with yeah. that, which is, I think the difference between morality and sanctification is morality can easily lead to that putting up a front of, yeah. I want to be fine. this thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Versus sanctification actually is focus more on the process, less, not maybe not necessarily less on the end goal, but it's not just about the end goal. Yeah. And so realizing that the solution, not just to how do I get this issue out of my life, stop doing this thing, but how do right. I deal with the shame is, it is that going to our father, it is that recognizing I can come to you now. The only thing I can do is come to you now, recognize yeah. that I am needy, I can't do this on my own. And I think that then starting there can lead to that displacement because Agreed. it is drawing our attention to a look at this greater love that accepts me even in my shame, brokenness, yeah. sin. And then that's as we're doing that, going to scripture, going to prayer, that is then that transformation of our right. mind is happening where we're seeing God for who he is, yeah. growing and loving what he loves, hating what he hates, and seeing other people in that way. And the way that he sees them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And and James says this. So James says, um, if you go to a brother and confess, or sister, and confess your problems, you will be healed. So you can go to God and be forgiven, yeah. um, but it, go, it, it takes, and this is why vulnerability is so important and why you don't want to screw it up. Um, if you want to be healed of something, so for example, if you've got like any sort of addiction, you cannot solve your addiction problems on your own. Um, you need someone else. So if my friend Joe, for example, part of the 10 years of just dumping problems on him has been, he has been my one person of vulnerability that I know when I go to him and share my junk, there isn't shame. I'm not yeah. shamed and I can still work out my problems. Mm. Um, and, and there's when you are not shamed, when you reveal your problems, that's when healing comes, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I wanna be healed. And the problem with going in and out of relationships is there is a temptation to share those problems. Um, but if, you, if it's not an honest, trustworthy commitment, you will be shamed. And then you're never going to want to share your problems. And then you walk into marriages with all sorts of issues. And you're like, well, I can't really talk about those. And people shut down when their problems are brought up. And it's like, ooh, that's not very healthy. Yeah. That's why there is like so much beauty. And I really, I love therapy because I'm able, you know, I'm not vulnerable with my, I am vulnerable with my therapist, but she's not even really giving me back um, advice. Like therapists don't do that. She's just giving me back validation of like, this is a good way to go. Um, and, and she's helped me realize like there is no shame on me that I don't have to feel this guilt inside of my body from what's, what's happened in my life. Like that is like a comfort. And to do that with a friend is like, cause whenever you do that with a romantic partner, like it muddies the water so much yeah. and there's, there's feelings involved. And so they want to come for you because they might want to gain something from you. Um, and that could be dangerous, but, um, something that. I, I learned from my pastor Judah about like especially with sexual sin is like the reason that he doesn't lust after other women is not because it's so bad and so sinful and so horrible. It's because his love for his wife Hannah is so great that he wants to honor her in such a way that it propels him to not lust after other women. It helps him to say no to that um, and that I think to focus on like what is good, what is right, what is honorable. Uh, matters um and yeah and, and with sanctification i think it is it's the holy spirit and 
Isaiah talks about how you'll hear a word behind you telling you the way to go, whether to turn left or right. Um, and it is him who like empowers you and like, cause sanctification, like you can't do it on your own. You need God and you need community. Um, because it's pain, like <laughs> sanctification is extremely painful and it's learning to die to yourself every single day to say no, to even God will have you in your sanctification, say no to good things. And that's like not a fun process. And you need someone, a friend, a pastor, and Jesus to help you walk through that process. Yeah, I love that idea of uh, making it more about running towards the positive and less about focusing on the negative and trying to always flee from that without any kind of perspective on the positive. Hey, guys, that's a great place to uh, wrap this up. Hey, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out United, it is Tuesdays, uh, 7.27 p.m. at 2707 West Pike Road. You should really check it out. Um, We have lots of good worship messages, lots of people to meet here, good relationships you can build. Uh, Hey, we love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Uloft Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Uloft Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 7.27 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.